Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of Once Saved, Always Saved, and today's program is a continuation of the previous one where I'm addressing some of the common verses that people refer to when having discussions about this subject of can a person lose their salvation or can a person reject the salvation that they have. I'm addressing a number of verses. I certainly am not going to be able to cover all of the verses that people refer to in these programs, but I am able to cover the general topics, the general issues that need to be understood, need to be raised in order to look at the scripture passages that people bring up. For example, the issue of the gospel. That's a very important topic because it is our perspective of the gospel that establishes the lens through which we examine the scriptures and interpret and understand many of the scriptures that can be read in an ambiguous way. And so I am spending time with a number of verses in order to help you have the tools that you need in order to address the other verses that will often come up that I simply don't have time to address. In this program, what I'm going to spend some time with is Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, between verses 9 and 13. Verse 12 is the one that usually comes up, but I'm going to read the whole section between verses 9 and 13, where it says, beginning in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure." It's verse 12 that people will normally refer to whenever this subject comes up. Again, in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, what people will do is they will look at that and they will say, Now, it says that they obeyed. They obeyed in the presence of Paul. And so he is now admonishing them to continue to obey in his absence. Well, what does this mean? What does it mean to obey? When people read this, the initial assumption is generally the assumption that it means you are going to obey the commandments of God. You can start with the first ten that he gave on Mount Sinai and just work your way down from there. In addition to that, make sure you spend some time in the Gospels in order to continue to generate a list based on everything that Jesus said. Now, if this is the case, then this is how this verse is going to be interpreted. It's going to be interpreted as, now make sure, now that you are saved, make sure that you live a life in obedience to the law. What is the law? It is the Old Covenant. 
So make sure that you live according to the old covenant. If there is a new covenant, well, it's going to have to be the kind of covenant that perhaps renews the old. Because we can't give up the old if this is what it says, that we are to obey. Obey what? Well, obey the law of God. And so if the new covenant has something to do with obey the law of God, maybe it's just a renewal. Maybe it's just a continual proclamation. Or maybe it's just a little bit more refined. You know, we take out the sacrificial system that was in there, but we keep everything else. This is what people will end up doing. But I certainly do not subscribe to any of these beliefs at all. It is my understanding, according to the prophecy that was given by Jeremiah, that the new covenant would not be like the old. So if it's like the old, it certainly is not the new covenant that was prophesied through Jeremiah the prophet. This is important to understand. If you don't understand this, then how are you going to navigate through something like this? If you do not understand the differences between the old and the new covenants, then there probably is going to be no alternative but to consider this to be an admonition to live in obedience to the Mosaic Law. This will be the default. Or maybe just the law of the church. Or maybe just a few laws. You know, we'll just pick, love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. Well, go ahead. In order to fulfill that, you are going to have to ensure that you add all the other relevant laws that are included within the scriptures. Those two are just simply a summary. Then you got to go and get the details, which, of course, takes you back to the Mosaic Law, takes you back to the Old Covenant. The reason why it is read this way is because it is written in a way that can be ambiguous. I say that it can be ambiguous because the word can apply either to the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. And, of course, I make a strong distinction between the Old and the New Covenants. I'm not able to address that topic in detail in this program. I've produced other programs on this topic. In this program, I will just simply mention that the Old Covenant has to do with repentance and obedience. The New Covenant has to do with believe, trust, and rest. It's a general description. Another way to look at it is that the Old Covenant has to do with what you are going to do for God. And the New Covenant has to do with resting and trusting in what he has already done for you. Those are two completely different ways of life, just to give you a brief summary. So when it comes to the word obey or obedience, if you are going to obey according to the Old Covenant, well, that is clearly understood. We have lots of information that we can look to concerning that. That's an easy way to interpret this and understand this when he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. If this is to be read from the point of view of the Old Covenant, he's saying, just keep at the law. But if this has to do with the New Covenant, the obedience to obey the New Covenant is read differently. This is what I mean by the ambiguity that can be placed here, because the word can mean multiple things. From the perspective of the New Covenant that I understand, obedience has to do with trust in what he has done, trust in what he has given. That has to do with abiding in him. It has to do with resting in what he has already accomplished, living with the inheritance that you have received as a result of his death. These are things that we are admonished to do in terms of obedience. 
believe the gospel is another way to view this. Believe, that is your act of obedience. So this is how I read Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, to not just obey in the context of believe and trust and rest in the new covenant in the presence of Paul, but do it in his absence also. Continuing in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, if you are working out your salvation on the basis of obedience to the law, then you don't need to be admonished to live with fear and trembling. All you have to do is be honest. You just have to be honest with yourself, honest with God, honest with those around you, and you should be terrified. You should be shaking, trembling. You should be afraid. And the reason why you would be working out your salvation in fear and in trembling in the sense of being terrified and being shaken up to the extent where on occasion you might have some behaviors that might look a little epileptic perhaps, like a seizure or something, if you are going to live a life in obedience to the commandments of God, you should be afraid because you will fail. You will fail to do that in the presence of Paul, and you will fail to do that in his absence. Either way, if that is what he intended to say, then the kind of fear and trembling that you are to live with is a kind that would leave a person completely paralyzed and in a state of extreme depression and despair. It would have to, unless, of course, you want to be dishonest, unless you want to pretend things that aren't true. There is no way to escape the condemnation of God when living under the Old Covenant. That is why he gave the Old Covenant, so that you would see that you had no hope except for his grace and mercy, which is what was provided under the New Covenant. Under the New Covenant, there is a different kind of fear and trembling that exists, which is a reasonable definition of these words, as I believe they are written here. It's just that we have a bias in most cases. In general, we have a bias concerning the definitions of certain words in certain contexts. In this context, I think it's reasonable to consider the fear to be referring to a sense of awe and the trembling to be referring to a sense of expectation. It's my opinion that this would be a much better rendition of the words that were used here. It's reasonable to understand them from that point of view in our language in English. Again, in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling in the sense of with awe and expectation. Obey the gospel, believe the gospel, and work out your salvation according to the gospel with a sense of awe and expectation of what the Lord your God is going to do. In verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Well, how can he work in you if you're so busy and preoccupied with you working in you in order to live in obedience to whatever list of commandments you'd like to try? I don't see that. I don't read that. From what I can tell, the living God is going to do a work within you 
live with a sense of awe and expectation of what he is going to accomplish as you trust in him, as you rest in him, as you believe what he has said concerning the truth. Listen, if he wanted you to live a life being terrified and trembling in the sense of being absolutely shaken by the reality of the truth of the legitimate condemnation that you live under, he doesn't need to give you a new covenant for that. He can just keep using the old. He doesn't need a new covenant. But the new covenant is completely different. Under the new covenant, we rest in, we believe in, we live in the love of God. Now, if we are going to live in the love of God, I assume you recognize that in the new covenant, we rest in the love of God, the fact that our God loves us. He loved us so much that he died for us. There's some evidence right there that you can consider in order to have an appreciation for this. In the Old Covenant, there was no application for love. There was no use for love because everyone was living under the curse of God because of their failure to live in obedience to the totality of the commandments as was required. But because of the forgiveness of sins, he has demonstrated his love towards us that he was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us, demonstrating his love for us by dying for our sins. That is an expression of love. What would be the end result of this love? For us to now live in terror? For us to be completely afraid and to work out our salvation being terrified? Of what? Of his love? No, it's a contradiction in terms. It's also a contradiction of a number of passages in the scriptures. Consider, for example, 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, where it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. He's talking about the relationship that has now been established between us and our God, between he and us, because of what he accomplished. That's what we are to rest in right now. Is this now a contradiction of Philippians chapter 2, verse 12? Are we now to consider this to be a contradiction? Because in verse 12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How can you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with the expectation of being terrified and tormented? It's a contradiction. No, it must be rendered in a different way using an alternative definition for fear and trembling, which I believe is best rendered as a sense of awe and expectation. Consider 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, how are we going to live with a sound mind, with power, and with love, if we're living in terror? He has not given us a spirit of fear. So how can it be rendered the other way? Well, the answer is that you cannot. You cannot do that without being faced with a number of other verses that you're going to have to render differently, which just simply can't be done without some dramatic linguistic gymnastics that, in my opinion, would end up becoming dishonest. It's legitimate to render Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 in a different way. It's legitimate to do that and preserve the other verses that are more clear about the comparison and contrast between fear and love, as in the examples that I gave, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 
Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. I should read from verse 19 down to verse 23. In verse 23, he says, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Think about that for just a minute. If you indeed continue in the faith and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. This is a verse that people will often refer to in order to suggest that you can move away from the hope of the gospel. You can turn away from the gospel. You can turn away from your salvation. You can just simply reject the living God. Think about that for just a moment. I'm going to go back up to verse 19. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Think about that for just a minute, please. He has reconciled you to himself in the midst of your condition, in the midst of your situation, that you were alienated, you were an enemy, in your mind, through your wicked works, which were what? They were any works which were contrary to the law. How many do you need to accomplish that? Only one. One, and you will be in the situation where you are wicked and you need to be reconciled, which is why he did this. And this is something that he did for us. Continuing again in verse 21, And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable in his sight. What he is saying is that he has forgiven you. He has reconciled you so that he could present you holy and blameless and irreproachable. So did he do that because you obeyed, because you obeyed the law, because you obeyed commandments, because you worked out your salvation? No, he is able to present you in that way because of what he did through forgiving your sins. Now, there's one more step to be understood concerning this, which he does mention in a few more verses in this chapter. But I want you to consider the explanation that I gave concerning the gospel, that the gospel has to do with the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of the Holy Spirit. It is through the forgiveness of sins that you are reconciled to God. But if you are going to be saved and declared to be holy and righteous and blameless and irreproachable, In his sight, it's going to be accomplished through the resurrection. That is where it is going to be accomplished. Continuing to read in verse 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. What this means is, is that you are to be grounded in the truth of the forgiveness and the reconciliation that you have received, And you are to embrace that so that you can continue in the faith. You are to continue 
and be grounded and steadfast so that you can continue and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel, which is not just about reconciliation, but it is about being resurrected, resurrected right now through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was presented to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You keep reading, and you continue all the way down to verse 26, just a couple of verses, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. That's the other part. From verse 23, you are to continue in the faith, not being moved away from the hope of the gospel, which is expressed in verse 26 and 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is what you are to go to. That is where you are to go, to achieve. That is the objective. That is what it means to continue in the faith. To continue in the faith means that you begin by responding to the truth that you have been reconciled to God through the death of his son. You embrace that truth. You respond to that truth. It is when you respond to that through your belief and trust that you are expressing faith, that you are living in faith. Continue with that. Do not be moved away from that. You continue with that to the purpose that he reconciled you, which was to restore the Holy Spirit to you so that Christ may be in you, which will then be your hope of glory. Your hope of glory is not defined by the reconciliation. It is defined by the resurrection. The reconciliation is what makes it possible for you to be resurrected through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, But it is that resurrection, it is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that is your salvation, to give life to you who are dead, to resurrect you from the dead. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, and you have now been made alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when you consider those passages that refer to continuing, enduring, if you will endure, if you will make it to the end, all you have to do is examine the passages surrounding those verses that are in question. And in general, you're going to find that it has to do with the end of the chapter or it has to do with the end of the topic. It has to do with the end point of truly embracing the resurrection in order to be saved. So when you examine verse 23, it is answered with verse 27. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel is fulfilled in verse 27 where it says to them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory that you are not to be moved away from is the glory that you are to be moved to, which is Christ in you. Once Christ is in you, you have achieved, you have entered into the hope of the gospel. Once you are there, you are not going to be moved away. If you could be moved away, 
then what would be the criteria by which you would be moved away? In verse 23, if you continue in the faith, we could just say that you cease to continue in the faith. You just simply decide that you are not going to continue in the faith. Well, if this is the case, then what is it going to take in order to achieve that situation where you are not continuing in the faith? I mean, what is it going to take? What are we really going to say? Does that mean that you don't continue for a day, for a week, for an hour? What does that really mean? Do we just simply declare that if a person says that they have decided not to continue in the faith anymore, does that mean that they that they decided not to go to church anymore? Does that mean that they've decided not to pray anymore, not to read their Bible anymore? How are we going to define that? Now, of those who I have encountered who have declared to me that they were in the faith and they decided not to continue in the faith, I have encountered a lot of people like this. I always ask what their understanding of the faith was. And I have never encountered anyone who described the faith that I have. I have never encountered anyone who described to me a faith that is real. I have heard many explanations about faith, about the faith that they had, about what they understood Christianity was. And in my opinion, after listening carefully to numerous people about their explanations of what they turned away from, or what they decided not to continue in, they always give me an explanation that describes a faith that I don't think is true, I don't think is real. And so if that's the case, I always tell them the same thing, and that is that I believe that they made the right decision. They made the right decision by turning away from the faith that they described, because that faith is not the real faith. Instead, they should discover what the real faith is, what the real gospel is, what it really means to be in Christ, what it really means for Christ to be in you, to discover what that is, because that is a faith that is true, and it is a faith that they would never turn away from. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net